Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. It is episode number 389. My name is Brando. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while. I don't expect you to remember it. Uh, Scott Ian, how are you, sir? Good. How are you? I am good. I'm better than Gary Holt. Uh, first thing, because he was supposed to, sorry, I mean, you may have you do a spit take. He was supposed to join us, but you guys are way up north in, uh, well, are you still in, in Canada right now where it's all, it's all a frozen tundra? Where are you right now? We're in the frozen tundra of uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota. That's right. But we crossed the border last night back into the States. We played Winnipeg last night, and then it's just directly south down to Grand Forks. Halfway is the border. And uh, it was like minus 17. We were there probably around 2.30, 3 in the morning, and uh, minus 17 out. And uh, it was about a 20, 30-second walk from where the buses had to pull up to get inside. And, uh, yeah, I guess Gary – Gary fell on the ice pretty hard. Went to the hospital today for some x-rays, but nothing's broken, but he's, he's not feeling so good. Uh, so I completely understand. Get rest, Gary. And I also understand because I'm a handicapped person, and I've told my bosses I'm no longer going into work when it snows. So that's why I have a nice home set up. I'm like, I, I can't make those falls anymore. So bad. Yeah, got it. Uh, I once felt not much of a story, but a couple of years back, I was in Ottawa and uh, it was again, freezing cold and everything was iced over in the city. And I was walking from a coffee shop with like a full cup of coffee. I had my backpack on. I was walking back to the venue and I slipped and it was like straight up cartoon fall, like legs and feet up in the air, like airborne flying backwards. And the only thing that saved me from cracking my head open was my backpack i had a big fat full backpack oh man the backpack hit and totally broke my fall the only bummer was the hot coffee went all over my jacket but (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah literally that backpack like it's like probably saved me a concussion because i was going down hard well uh, maybe you should wear a backpack for the rest of the tour you know yeah exactly if i'm outside i'm wearing a backpack well speaking of uh i guess cold weather because People were excited to, for have you come back on the podcast. Uh, Jason just saw the the show of Anthrax, Exodus, and Slayer in Calgary, uh, Alberta, and also who else have we got? We got Jason or Sean rather in uh, British Columbia, Penison, Penison. I don't know. Penticton. Penticton. I was not even Pen, close. Pen, Penticton. Penticton. Yeah. I wasn't even close. Yes. I'm just an ignorant American. That's fine. But they they said all three bands killed it. But they were really there for the thrash. What does that mean to you, like 40 years later, that this music, this thrash music, is just, there's such a community there that just will go out in all sorts of weather to see you guys? Well, Western Canada, when it's above zero, it's like springtime for them. Okay, (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) So they, they are a much tougher breed when it comes to weather than 
um, most people who live to the south. Uh, so, um, yeah, it, it's no I, I see these people online outside the show and like I've got five layers of shit on. And uh, these guys are in like their, you know, denim vests with no sleeves. Like, <laughs> what? But uh, yeah, the, the show so far, you know, the first leg of this tour back last year, back in August, September was incredible. And uh, of course, that opened the door to do leg two. You know, both bands wanted to do it. Us and Black Label. Of course, we had Hatebreed on the first leg. We got Exodus this time and uh, put together the second leg, even bigger venues and uh um the show so far we're a weekend i mean western canada we were playing like these like kind of mid-sized hockey arenas and i mean we haven't done that as a headliner in a long time like these are the same venues we had just opened for slayer in a couple of years ago on slayer's goodbye tour we were out on a lot of that and we played a lot of these places as the opener and here we are just a couple of years later and we're headlining the same joints so um uh, it feels great. It's, it's amazing, you know, um, uh, to really feel like all the hard work, you know, and uh, over all these decades and we still get to do this at this level and, uh, and we still get to have fun and out here with Zach and, and the boys and Gary and, and Tom and Zetro. And, you know, I mean, these are people we've been friends with for literally forever. I mean, the first time Anthrax and Exodus played together was the Kabuki Theater in San Francisco in 1984. Wow. Like, that's how long we go back. I mean, literally to the, the infancy days. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's an amazing feeling. It, it really feels great. And the shows have been great. The package is awesome because each band brings a different dynamic. Mm. Um, so, you know, you're not sitting through three hours of just the same thing hitting you over the head all night. It's like three distinctly different versions of heavy. And, uh, and I just think it's a great show. That's why I was, you kind of partially answered. I was going to ask you and Gary, uh, but you can answer it as well. Like when is the first time that you two met? Cause I, I love that, that these friendships, these bands go back so far that at this point in your career, it's probably all about the fun. So do you remember the first time that you uh, met Gary or the guys in Exodus? Uh-huh. Yeah, it was 84, that show I talked about. We we were on tour with Raven and uh, opening for Raven. And in San Francisco, they added X's to the bill. Uh, Bonded by Blood wasn't out yet, but it was done. It was recorded. Like, we had a copy of it. So we had already been listening to that record at that point. Um, and we're huge fans. You know, that record is incredible. And... Uh, so we were super excited that they were going to be on the bill. Also super nervous because we were going to have to follow them in their hometown where they were like, I mean, they were the king of Thrash Mountain. You know, at that point in time, nobody was harder and faster and crazier than Exodus. And in their hometown, you know, in front of that Bay Area audience, which was already legendary for the insanity of the headbanging and head walking and all that. This is pre crossover, pre mosh pits, any of that stuff. Um, this was straight up metal. And uh, man, you know, we met those guys at night. And it was super cool to meet them and everything. And uh, everyone was super nice. And we were hanging out backstage and they went on. And I watched from the side of the stage their whole set. And I had never seen anything like it. The audience, that place probably held like 2,000 or something. And and uh, 
the audience was like a wave of people coming over onto the stage constantly. And uh, like at the front of the stage, people on top of people on top of people. I mean, it was like I'd never seen it before. There was nothing like that going on anywhere else on that level of craziness with an audience. And uh, um, yeah, we went on, we had to go on after that and we did okay. Cause it was our first time in the Bay area. And I know we had a fistful was out. People wanted to see us. Um, but I was just like, God damn it. Like that's, <laughs> that's what I want. I want what they were doing. And, uh, and, uh, holy shit, man, it was, uh, and then we got off stage and, and, uh, they had trashed our dressing room while we were on stage. <laughs> they had gone in and raided all our shit and like our, our food and booze and trashed it. And then I think we ended up having a food fight if I remember correctly that night. So it was, we were fast friends. That's cool. You, you mentioned something, uh, a term, and I, maybe I'm taking it too literally, but you're like pre-mosh pit. Was, so in my, I've always grown up with mosh pits being a part of thrash and metal. Yeah, no, there wasn't always. It, so, when that, was the first one you crossover, saw? That crossover didn't start happening till a year later, till like in 85 at metal shows. Um, but in 84, no, it was still, it was still just a sea of headbanging and fist banging. And um, wow. uh, in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, they were stage diving. Um, but the mosh pits hadn't really started yet at, at that point, uh, to to my knowledge. Um, uh, it was in 85 was the first time we ever saw uh, in New York uh, when we played the Ritz in New York City. Uh, I think that might have been the first time we had like full on mosh pits, like circle pit and stage diving and all that started happening at our shows because the crossover between the two scenes started happening around, you know, late 84 into 85. And, and, uh, that just, that opened the doors for all of that. What's the feeling when you see that for the first time? Is that in a, in a well, way I had, of, like, I, had I, made it? To, I had been going to shows at CBGB's starting in 84. So I had like seen it in the context of hardcore shows. Okay. Cause I would go to the Sunday matinees at CBGB's and, see all the hardcore bands, whether it was New York bands playing like Agnostic Front and Murphy's Law and Cro-Mags and things like that, or, you know, bands coming through town, getting to see, uh, you know, bands from California, bands from Texas, you know, seeing Suicidal for the first time at CBGB's, you know. Um, uh, so I had already been going to hardcore shows for a long time. So I was very well aware of this slam dancing and moshing and what that took place at the hardcore shows but that was not going on at metal shows yet uh, until the New York hardcore kids and guys that I would see at CBGB started showing up at metal shows and starting pits. And the metal fans are like, what's this, you know, like, what's this crazy shit? I want some of that too, you know? And, uh, and uh, yeah. And then of course, metal fans started listening to hardcore bands and hardcore fans started listening to metal bands and, you know, the rest is history. That is so cool, and I love the uh, kind of time capsule you put us all in because I don't want to make you feel old. In nineteen, I was born in eighty three, so yeah. So, yeah. so I'm so I'm, you weren't at CBGB's when you were one. No, no, I, no, I was not. I was not. That's just funny. Well, if my parents were cool, maybe I I could have been. But that's right. Um, speaking of cool, 
Uh, one of my listeners thinks you're pretty cool. That's a terrible transition. Uh, Gilbert Cano <laughs> said, uh, Scott Ian is such a legend of all the things, his words about Malcolm Young after his passing and the skill involved in Young's playing of the rhythm guitar has stuck with me. So what does that mean to you? Because that's something I see since I've been a fan is not just your playing, but who you are as a person and because you've done a lot of interviews, a lot of TV shows, but your words inspire people as well. Does that, do you ever take time to think about that? Because you wrote, you've written books as well? Yeah, well, I, I take, I take any writing I do like very, very seriously, even if it's like a blurb for somebody's book. Like I get asked, can you write a blurb for the back cover? And I'll agonize over like one sentence, you know, because I just, I take writing in general very seriously because when when I basically raised my hand in the band meeting a million years ago, when after Fistful of Metal and Neil Turbin was gone and uh, he had written all the lyrics on that record. So now, like, well, who's going to write the lyrics? And I was just kind of like, I will <laughs> not having any fucking idea what that meant or how or what or when or like any of it. And, uh, but I just figured like, I'll try it. Worst case scenarios, it's, it's terrible. And someone else will give it a shot. But I, I truly believe there was a part of me that believed it was something I could do. Cause it, I, I mean, I, not because I was an avid reader, you know, like that not going to make you a lyricist or a writer, but at least I did. I, I was, a, I was a very avid reader, you know, comics, horror, sci-fi, everything, history, anything to get my hands on. And uh, I just loved reading so much. And I felt like I felt like I had a point of view. So I, I you know, I was like, I'll try. And from, you know, from that day forward, I've, I've taken writing extremely seriously because I, I understood the, the task I was taking that we've got this music that's intense and the lyrics have to be just the same they have to be on the same level as the music we're making otherwise it's it's not going to be a balance there so the the lyrics count and uh, i've always taken that extremely seriously and then that started to cross over in other things i've gotten to do in my life whether it's books or comics that i've written or you know anything um i take it really seriously so yeah even when i wrote probably whatever it was on social media after malcolm died uh, yeah, I, I remember, you know, agonizing over paying tribute to my hero because I want to make sure I say what I really feel. I, I want people to feel what I'm feeling about this guy. And, you know, that's sometimes hard to get across. And, and uh, yeah, I, I'm glad I'm glad he he enjoyed what I had to say uh, about Malcolm because it, it was super important to me. <laughs> And speaking of, because he's an inspiration to you and to so many others, uh, this is from Mother Danzig. I don't think that's her. I don't think she's actually the mother of Glenn. Uh, As in, that was it. That's her actual name. Yeah. <laughs> mother Danzig. Uh, apparently, she is seeing you guys on Sunday. Very excited. She calls you an inspiration. And she would like to know what keeps you going with guitar and if there are any tips that you have for aspiring guitar players like herself who are struggling with motivation. I've never needed any motivation because for me, picking up a guitar is, is just instant fun. It's joy to put on a guitar and either just noodle around or play songs uh, with my band. It's, um, 
it's always been that for me from the first time I ever picked up a guitar. It's uh, it's always been that, and it still is. I've never needed motivation to to play guitar because it brings me joy. It puts a smile on my face. It's the best tool uh, I've ever used to do anything because it it enables me to create things that then I have even more fun doing. And uh, yeah, it's um, so yeah for me. Like, is there ever a, is there ever a day that you're bummed out you you don't want to play because I do I love radio but there are days I don't want to do this. I'll take a break when I get off a tour because my hands need it. Okay. But uh, no, there, no, there's there's never a time where picking up a guitar is a negative. Um, it just never is. Uh, I, I think motivation really, you know, it's got to come from your heart. It's got to come from your soul. You have to, if it's something that's you're looking for reasons to pick it up, you know, I, I would never tell anyone to step away from the guitar, but you know, I, it's just my own personal experience mm-hmm. That's I've explained what guitar means to me. I, you know, I, I would think it would be the same for everybody, you know, projecting my own feelings that, well, guitar must feel the same for everybody. Obviously not. But uh, yeah, I, I would just say, look for the joy in it, you know, to find motivation is play what makes you happy. Figure, figure out what puts a smile on your face uh, and 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 stick to that because it it should never feel like work or or be annoying or give you anxiety or you know for me it's always been the opposite of all those things you know and it is because it is work I, I I make a living playing guitar but uh, you know I, I found a way to make the thing I love doing you know that's my job you know who, who could ask for anything more than that. Yeah, no, you're definitely living the dream. And uh, I guess with that, because I, I mentioned, because there are days I don't want to do, because I struggle with depression. and sometimes, But I force myself to do it, you know, because look, I'm in the position of talking to Scott Ian. I mean, I, I need to keep doing it. I've gone through sure. uh, tough times where I'm like, if I stay away from the mic for too long, I'm not going to go back. And now that I'm sure you know the name of the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, what a blessing in disguise. Because I've been in radio for 20 years. This podcast is just a side thing. I never knew what it was ever going to be. Uh, and I, again, I get to talk to you for the second time. The first time, because uh, I want to keep you here for too long. I know you guys are busy. Um, we spoke about Axel DC, and that was one of the best shows you've ever seen. Have you ever seen a show that has matched that since? Axel DC. Yes. Cause we were at the same show, uh, at, at the, at the garden. You were, I, right, right, so right. I say that like everybody calls them that, you know, ACDC with Axel Rose that you had mentioned that was one of the best shows you had ever seen. Have you ever seen anything, uh, close to that since? Cause it's been a few years since I've, um, spoken. Yeah. To I've you. been to some, yeah, yeah. That Axel DC show though was, uh, it was fantastic. It was, because I just thought he nailed Bond like, man, you know, um, he nailed it. He nails Bond and Brian and his joy as a fan of that band. Because I, I don't know Axel other than having like said hi to him a couple of times over the the decades. I, I don't know him, but uh, um, I did, hung out with him kind of one time in the 90s at a bar in New York. But other than, a you know, hey, how are you? You know, Um but I've always been a fan of, you know, certainly Appetite and that record. And uh, 
Um, and I've always known he's an ACDC fan because he talks about it. And um, yeah, he uh, he crushed it. And boy, did his his fanboyness so came out so strong on that stage. You could tell how happy he was to be fronting, you know, one of his favorite bands of all time. And he, not only did he do it justice, but I mean, it, it, it just couldn't have been, I don't know how, other than Bon coming back from the dead and, and zombie walking out onto that stage, it couldn't have been better. You know, I mean, he nailed it. He fucking nailed it. And he, he took a backseat to Angus. You know, it was just so respectful. He, he, you know, the fact that between songs, he literally like, it was like, you'll probably know this next one. And then they bust into like highway to hell. It's just like, Jesus Christ, you know, like, I mean, it was just everything about it was great. It was two and a half hours of headbanging, just nonstop. And uh, yeah, fabulous, fucking fabulous, fantastic show. Maybe nothing. I don't know that I've been to something as big as that, a big arena spectacle, big thing. And, and my favorite band to boot. So, but I have seen some great shows. Like I I saw that band Turnstile at the Hollywood Palladium just a couple of months ago. And I've been into that band for a bit. And uh, the, I think their last two records are fantastic. And uh cool. finally got to see it live. And, and man, they, they fucking brought it. I mean, holy shit. The connection between that band and their audience is something I haven't seen in a really long time. Um, to the point where even for the 30 minutes before they're on stage, the audience is dancing to the pre-show music. And then their, 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 their intro song is Whitney Houston singing uh, is I want to dance with somebody. They play that over the PA before they come on. And the fucking audience is singing and dancing because everyone's just so excited to be there to see turnstile. And, uh, the energy in the room was uh, uh, unbelievable. And, and, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I highly recommend turnstile to anyone who hasn't come across it yet. Right on. That's cool. I know like like about them, but now based upon what you just said, I need to go into more of a, a deep dive. Uh, not to stay because again, it's my my theme. But you mentioned you know you've seen Axel in passing because I've gotten a few questions about. Do you have any memories of that Eddie Trunk interview where Axel just showed up, where it was like what you Sebastian Chris Jericho, and he was on. I think it was on the station I work for Q one zero four three. Uh, I don't know. I think that's where it was. That was just yes. so. What what memories do you have of that? Because that that's that's a great moment in radio. It's almost like I mean, it's like a fucking dream. Like my my like my dinner with Axel. Like yeah, it was so, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, we were, I think. Am I correct in saying Sebastian and I were there doing press because of the VH1 show? That we had done, you know, the uh, the rock, what was it called again? Uh, fuck, I can't remember. Oh, 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 I, oh, I know so, what you're talking about. Uh, democracy. Democracy. Yeah, me and Ted. Yeah, yeah. Me, him, and Ted, and, and, uh, and Evan and Jason. Yeah, we were the band on in the TV show. Yeah, I think we were doing press for that. And, um, and uh, I think that's why we were there. But... Uh, Anyway, um, yeah, we were up doing Eddie's show. And, of course, we're all friends with Eddie. And Baz was texting with Axel. Axel was in New York rehearsing. 
I believe at SIR, a big rehearsal studio complex in the city, and uh, rehearsing with GNR. And I think this was the initial, you know, like GNR's coming back with the new lineup. Nobody knows what's going on. It's all a big secret, blah, blah, blah. But Axel's in New York rehearsing and Sebastian and him are texting and he's like, what are you doing? Blah, you know, I'm on Eddie Trunk's show. And Axel's like, I love Eddie Trunk. You know, I should come over. And Sebastian's like, showed us like, he says he's coming <laughs> over, you know, and we're all thinking, he's not coming, you know, there's no way he's, he's not coming over here. And and then Axel's like, I'll see you guys, you know, soon. And why would Axel come? He's not coming here. <laughs> and then like not too long later, like security's calling up that Axel Rose is here. We're like, get the fuck out of here, you know? And yeah, he Axel Rose comes walking in and joins the interview. It was like, wow, this is this is surreal. It was uh, I totally forgot about that until you brought it up, like because it doesn't even seem like something that could ever really happen. And uh, yeah, and he hung out with us and he couldn't have been cooler. And uh, it was a fucking momentous occasion. I, I think the smile on Eddie Trunk's face got so big, I thought it was going to cut the top of his head off. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, it was really just quite the moment. And me and Jericho were just like, Jesus Christ, like, what the fuck? You know, Sebastian and Axel go way back. They've been friends for a long time. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, what a trip, you know? And he was great. He just answered every question Eddie threw at him. And, and uh, it was just, uh, uh, yeah. I got a, I have pictures of that because we took pictures. I've got pictures of that somewhere. I got to find one of those photos and yeah. post that. I totally forgot about that, that, that happened. That's crazy. Well, I guess it goes, uh, it goes to show what a life you've led and where that kind of, you get to forget about it. And I want to credit some more listeners who are excited to hear from you. Uh, Keebler, Key or Keebler, uh, and, and Dan just wanted to, to know about that because I guess remember that's the days of radio before the internet where I have friends like listening to Eddie Trunk, turn on the radio, turn on the radio. We're all surrounding the radio, listening to all of you guys talk. And it was just, uh, just fascinating. Uh, one more thing as far as the, the past, before we talk about maybe some new stuff and, and, and the, no worries. And the tour. No worries. I appreciate it. Uh, people, I, I spoke to your bandmate, Frank Bello, uh, last year about married with children. And <laughs> cool. I, I know that's, uh, a, a very a big part of your history and you know it's just like a great moment in television history we talk about radio history this is tv history <laughs> yeah what uh, i guess right, people, what's right up most... there with uh, with the last episode of mash and seinfeld <laughs> yes <laughs> well I, I think to us rock <laughs> fans to us metal fans i think it, it no, is no no i trust me for me it's right up there i guess i mean i'm trying to think of a a question because you probably get asked all the time about it but do you have like a favorite memory from that that people might not know about that's something that's that because you were just talking before about falling on the ice you know that's not a good story i found it a good story with the backpack saving you so do you maybe have a, a, a an untold story that you haven't said about um married with children your experience um an untold story I'm, I'm digging Probably deep. Not. Seeing if you forgot anything else. I mean, you forgot about the radio interview with Eddie Trump. I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, there's so many little things that aren't really, you know, like we took, we took David Faustino that week. We were shooting that in, uh, it was like an early 92. Uh, we took David, he played Bud. Metallica was playing the forum in LA that week. So we took David to Metallica show and, uh, 
when, when, uh, at some point when we, we left the backstage to go out front to watch. So we walked into the arena and the, the lights were on and we walk in and people saw Bud Bundy and like thousands of people started chanting, Bud, Bud, Bud. Bud. Like he was, he was very excited that like, you know, this arena full of metalheads was very excited to see him. And uh, we had a lot of drinks that night and the next day he was late for, for work, you know, <laughs> on the set and one of the producers came to our dressing room and said um we appreciate you guys bonding with the you know with the the cast and stuff but um how about no more metal shows this week until <laughs> until we're done with uh with work because apparently yeah even when he showed up he was a little rough around the edges when he got in that's funny and uh, and we'll we'll take all the credit for that um yeah uh Ed O'Neill was the best man. That guy, you know, we were all huge fans of that show when we got to do it. And, uh, and he couldn't have been cooler to us, just nicer, super helpful. You'd think it would be easy playing yourself on something, but it's weird because you're saying words that someone else wrote. So immediately there's a weird stilted kind of disconnect with, cause you're like, well, I wouldn't really say this, but then, the point of acting is to make it seem like you would say that right. and it's really coming from you. And Ed was able to get that across to us based on the first few rehearsals where he's like, it's a little stiff, you know, guys. And I, I understand it's weird to play yourselves because these aren't your words and you're not just improvising. And, and he would give us line readings, you know, like put the emphasis here, try it like this, maybe turn this way. Like, just little, little things that you, you never realize you think, oh, actors, they just fucking say the words, but it's, you know, you learn a lot when you're hanging out with a bunch of them making a TV show and someone is the polar opposite of the thing they play on TV because Ed O'Neill couldn't be more opposite Al Bundy. Mm. But when he turns that flips that switch and turns that on, he became that slob. You know what I mean? And that with that voice and everything, but he couldn't in real life. He's this super intelligent, you know, soft spoken, like it's couldn't be more opposite. And uh, and he taught us how to play ourselves. And I, I thought it was so nice of him. He doesn't need to fucking take the time to, you know, like he's probably got more shit to do in his day than, than worry about. But, you know, I guess he's also thinking like, I want the show to be great and I want Anthrax to be great. So hmm. He, uh, you know, he was unbelievably cool uh, working with us. It was uh, it was really just one of those high points of my career. I think about that week getting to do that show and be on set every day. It was it was so, so much fun. Are you hoping I asked Frank this, too? Are you hoping cause they're rebooting everything? Right. Do, you, do you, are you hope for a reboot with Married with Children? And if they do, you better be involved. I think it would be amazing if they did it. It would be interesting to see because you couldn't make that show now with the, the, the joke writing that was on that show at that time in the late eighties and early nineties, you can't make that show, but you could certainly make something funny in that same format and reboot it. So why not? I mean, I see stuff like I was watching this stuff uh, clips the other day I'm a big fan of uh, the two guys that host Weekend Update on SNL, okay. uh, uh, Colin Jost and Michael Che. I think they're both really funny writers and comedians. And every year on the last episode of the season of SNL, they do this thing 
where they swap jokes. Yeah. They write jokes for each other that they've never seen. And the first time they're doing it is when they're reading it off the teleprompter right there. And they write the fucking most brutal, evil shit for each other to say, yeah. like Michael Che writes the most racist shit <laughs> for Colin Jost to say, because Colin's white and Michael's black. Right. And he writes shit that no, you can't say, but Michael, jo Colin Jost now has to say it on SNL. And uh, it is, I was crying listening to some of these jokes. And so they found a way, a context to say the most in, uh, politically incorrect shit mm. and they can and it's on fucking national television and uh yeah and uh it's the most non-woke humor i think on tv and and they pull it off because both of them are unbelievably smart comedians and writers and they found they were like fuck this we'll do whatever we want we're comedians we're telling jokes and i think that's that's got to be the attitude and people need to fucking lighten up about that shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. No, right on. Because I, 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 I'm thinking, I just finished watching that 90s show, and uh -huh. I'm like, that 70s show, I liked it. But you you go back, and because that's not as old as Married with Children, and there right. are things on there that you can't even do today. I mean, sure. Fez yeah. is like a borderline rapist. <laughs> like, but, but the the reboot, even though they have things in there that are very PC, they kept the old humor and a lot of the perviness. I'm like, okay. Sure. I, I like this. They didn't really bastardize this reboot. So it got me thinking about with uh, with Married with Children. Right. Uh, what's, I mean, is it all focused now to go back to the current all on the tour? Or what else are you thinking about as far as your future or future of Anthrax? Or is it just in tour mode right now? I mean, right now it's that. It's I've always been that way. I uh, Every day is basically you know leading up to the hour before showtime and then actually getting on stage is making sure i'm just conserving my energy and spending my day in a way that will enable me to get on stage and give everything i have to give um which usually means you know not really doing much reading writing uh watching stuff uh, talking to my family, you know, press, but really conserving my energy. Um, because for me, it's all about, it's all about getting to that hour before. And then I've got a very strict kind of stretching warm up and then guitar warm up so that I know when I get on stage, I'm at the BPMs I need to be to walk on stage and, you know, play our songs without cheating. And, uh, Cause you know, it's all about someone who's going to take money out of their wallet and, and commit to buying a ticket to see my band. You know, I, I owe them, I owe them the best that I could give them because the fact that they've made that choice to come see anthrax, um, I, you know, I, it's my responsibility. It's my job and it's, and it's my privilege to, to be on stage and perform and do that. And I, I take that extremely seriously. It's something I've never taken for granted. I think the live show of this band is second to none. And, uh, and, and it's been like that since the earliest days where we felt like there's a lot of shit that's out of control in the music business. But one of the things we can control is who we are as a, as a live band. Mm. 
and you can work at that and you you can become fucking great at it and and we are and uh and i take that really seriously uh and uh you know and it takes a lot to maintain that when you're not in your 20s anymore you know i i'm performing at the same level at 59 as i did at 29 you know and uh or 19 i just i don't have hair moving when i'm banging <laughs> my head, but the head's banging just as hard and uh you know, I, I take that very seriously and I, I keep myself in good shape. And it's because it, to me, that's what it's all about. It's that that privilege of stepping on a stage in front of an audience that's fucking paid their hard earned money to see you. I, I want to give them the fucking night of their life. And I, I've always felt like that. Well, I read you just a few comments and they were all glowing, just saying they're, you, you killed it. Just those few shows you've done in, uh, in Canada. I know you're in North Dakota now people excited i mean you're going to be uh where next you're going to be in madison wisconsin you're going to chicago portland and all you're going to go be all over so people are excited to see this uh massive show with you exodus and a black label society uh i want to ask because hopefully maybe the next time i interview you because by the way i I looked up the it was episode 37 that's the first time so what did i say i'm up to 300 and i'm almost up to 400 so a long time but yeah, yeah, yeah. Since, in. since you're a horror guy, I just started a horror spinoff, Appetite for Horror. Very clever. Uh, hopefully I get you on that. But I want to ask, what's your favorite horror movie of all time? Well, I got you. Uh, the Thing, John Carpenter. That's a great answer. That's a great movie. That <laughs> it's is a, the best answer. Yeah. That, that, you didn't even hesitate. You didn't even hesitate. I love that. Oh, I love yeah, that. I mean, I, I love a lot of horror movies, but that, that would be the one. Okay, cool. Well... Hopefully we'll go more in depth with Hart in, in a future live, future uh, interview. But Scott, sure. thank thank you for taking the time. Please wish uh, Gary Holt rub his knees, get some, make sure he has plenty of ice, not beneath <laughs> him, but like on the infected area or whatever it is. Yes, yes. Um, so just thank you for your time, and I hope we get to do this again. Yeah, cheers. Thank you. So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. As I mentioned, we have a new horror podcast spinoff, Appetite for Horror. You can find it across social media, Appetite, the number four horror, and it's on iHeartRadio, Spotify. Uh, I have the, the video interviews just like I have these on the Appetite for Distortion YouTube page, so you can check out my latest interview with the star of Poultry Geist, Night of the Chicken Dead. Hopefully you've seen that movie. <laughs> or not. It's a, it's one of those over-the-top trauma films with blood and guts and a lot of other fluids, and it's a, it's a horror movie. <laughs> it's great. So I'm having a lot of fun doing that as well, eight episodes in. So you can find that wherever you get your podcasts, just like this one. So what is the come on Appetite for Distortion? Well, I don't know. When are you going to see the next episode? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. Yeah! security, I'm going home.